It's great to see all your smiling faces. I trust that you had a terrific, and Basil's smiling face, a terrific uh, Christmas and are looking forward to the new year. Um, I used to be a, a stay up late at night, wait for the fireworks type of person. Um, not anymore, I get a bit early. <laughs> I just let the new year look after itself and watch the repeats on TV. Yeah, My name's Peter Huxley, for those of you who don't know me, um, welcome, particularly to any visitors that might be here today or people uh, passing through. You do have an opportunity during uh, holiday time to uh, play host to people who, uh, friends, relatives of others who come by, so if you're here in that capacity, welcome. We're going to be looking at this psalm today, as Rick said, uh, the first of, first of many. Uh, I worked out that with 150 psalms, you do five every year. It takes a couple of weeks to do the lot. Um, so hang around. I think it's about 30 years. We're three years into it. So for the next 27 years, you are due to be here during January to hear the whole story. So Tony's smiling, so I think he'll be here. <laughs> Yeah. Before I start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you give us your word uh, through your, your servants, like David, uh, for us to uh, read and understand you know, here today. Uh, we pray that in the wisdom of his, of his speech, uh, through the poetry and the language of, of this psalm, that we will learn uh, more about you, more about our relationship with you, and more about the reliance that we need to place on you in all matters. We pray, Father, that your spirit will teach us here today and that not only will we know it, but we will take it to heart and, uh, and do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever wake up at night thinking through the issues that are going through your, your head um, in your life? Uh, do you ever find yourself doing that? You sort of wake up early. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning is a great time to do that, isn't it? You... you you're sort of there and you, you, you overthink what's going on in your life. Uh, the pressures that you have, the, um, the things that are going to have to happen the next morning, um, issues that, that your family is facing or, or in your work situation. Do you ever do that? I see a few people nodding, so I'm not the only one. That's great. Terrific. Have you ever feared what might lie ahead of you? You have a morbid fear of what's over the next, the next, what's going to happen the next week, the next day, the next year. Have you ever been anxious or overwhelmed by that? Found yourself with so many things going on in your head that you just cannot even sort them out. Uh, are you ever feeling like you're at wit's end, uh, not knowing what to do, or the problems of the world are almost consuming you so much uh, that you feel like you're drowning? Uh, in them. How's your confidence uh, that you can find solutions to these, to these problems? You know, our capacity to deal with multiple issues uh, often stretches us to our limits, doesn't it? Um, our capacity for dealing with these things can be pretty low and sometimes it's just too much. So sometimes we find ourselves retreating, uh, hiding, trying to ignore things, hoping that they'll go away. So how do we resolve the problems that we, that we face? Do we rely on what we know? Do we rely on our strength? Do we seek the advice of others? Where do we go? 
and what do we do? Well, I want to suggest to you very strongly that like all matters to do with life, the Bible addresses all of those issues and more. And while it might not provide a carefully crafted strategy for us to follow, it addresses all the issues that we're likely to encounter in life in a way that goes back to first principles. Because it explains the way that God made the world and it explains the way that he has a plan for it. The Bible cuts to the heart of the matter when it comes to dealing with fears and anxieties. Not solving the problems that we present necessarily, but gets us back on the right track, on the right relationship with God so that we can see and we can deal with the problems in a proper way. Well, today we're going to look at one of those passages in Scripture where David talks us through how he addressed the issues that he was dealing with at the time of the writing of Psalm 27. And what he says to us in this psalm, I think, is both timely and timeless. Let me explain. I think it's timely because we all need to be reminded of it. Frequently, regularly, and that's why we meet together, isn't it? So that we have an opportunity to be reminded of God and of his place in our, in our lives and in our world. And it's also timeless because it was both true then, back in David's day, it's true now, in our day, and it will be true into the future. First, a bit of background about David. <clears throat> and we know from our recent series in 1 Samuel that although David was anointed king and his journey to the throne was far from, far from smooth, Though he won many battles, we know that he was hunted. Attempts were made on his life. He was roundly criticised by his followers for his poor decision-making. And he was forced to seek shelter with his enemies when times were tough. As a king, he was a great leader. However, he also failed on many occasions. He was also an adulterer and a murderer. He exhibited all the frailty that you and I experience because he too was a sinner. First slide, please, Gareth. Cool. I can't actually see it on there, so I have to assume that it's there. In this psalm, David is reflecting on his own life experience at a particularly difficult time in his life. I'm not sure that he woke up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and wrote this, but certainly he was reflecting on what, what his life was at that time. He's remembering the good times. He's remembering the difficult times. But more importantly, he's remembering who God is, how God has been carrying him throughout his life. And not only that, how confident David is that God would continue to look after him and uphold him. I think the question we need to consider is whether David's life experience as, as laid out in this psalm and his relationship to God can help us to uh, place our trust in God and to likewise give us the confidence that we need to live under God's rule. So the first point I want to make is that the person who lives under God 
will recognise that God is their light, that God is their salvation, that God is their stronghold. Look with me at verses 1 to 3. The first thing I noticed when I looked at this psalm is that David doesn't start by addressing the problems that he has, does he? He doesn't go to the, the core of the problem. What he does, he begins by reflecting and reminding himself about who God is. In doing this, he's reminding himself that in the bigger scheme of things, God is the one who is in control of everything that happens, including the problems that he has. He reminds himself that God is his light and that God is his salvation. God is the one who illuminates the paths that David takes. He's the one who pushes aside the darkness of fear. He's the one who brings things into sharp focus because nothing is hidden when God is around because God is light. And we all know that light overcomes the darkness. God is also David's salvation. Again, David is reminding himself that everything that he's ever achieved is because it was granted to him by God. God causes David's enemies to stumble and fall. God is the one who is always with him. And David knows that he is only victorious in battles because of God. He is David's stronghold in life. He's the one who's protected David through all the trials and tribulations. The Lord is David's rock, fortress, his deliverer, and the one whom David takes refuge. Great images, aren't they? Elsewhere in the Psalms, David describes God as his shield and the horn and saving power of his salvation. You know, in victory, David doesn't blow his own trumpet or his own horn. He attributes the victory to God and blows God's trumpet and God's horn because it's God who is the victor. To David, it's all about God not about him. For God is David's strength, his shield, his weapon, his tactician, his advisor and his safe haven. We're left in no doubt, are we, at this point in the psalm where David's heart and focus is. For under the power of God, David can confidently say that he has no one to fear because he is totally confident with what the Lord God is, is in his life. Who is there to be afraid of if God is on your side? The answer is obvious. David fears no one. You know, in much the same way, Jesus, when he faced his enemies, as he went about spreading the good news, never faltered on his reliance on his father even though he was the son of God. He faced rejection, he faced hostility, and even death. But he knew that God his Father was in control. Jesus constantly prayed to God, put matters before him even as he ministered to others, even when he had the power to deal with matters for himself 
he subjected himself to the will of his father. I think there's a pattern here that we need to take more notice of, don't you? There's some wisdom here that we can follow when we're dealing with problems in our lives. You know, I'm sure that like most men here, when there's a problem, um, I know I do, it goes straight into problem-solving mode. I'm pretty sure there's a, a couple of blokes in the room that do the same. And I try and tackle the issue at hand. I try and work out what the problem is, look at different ways to, to deal with it, step out and try to fix whatever that needs fixing. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes when I'm solving a problem, I actually create problems. And so the cycle goes on, repeats itself. On a bigger scale, humanity tries to solve problems in, in, in other ways. They use things like peace talks and, and conferences and, uh, and diplomacy, uh, confrontation, uh, political uh, clout, uh, um, takeover countries, political coups. They, they, there's all sorts of different methods that, that people use to try and change things. Well, do you think these methods actually work? Do you think the United Nations, for example, is getting somewhere? Or is it just a big talk fest? Needless to say, the evidence that we have before us today, if you only have to listen to the news, is that the world is in a mess. Nothing of what we try to do without God works. Doomed to failure. We haven't achieved anything in the 2,000 years of our existence without God. David also knew that this was the case in his situation, in his lifetime. So the encouragement that I get from the opening verses of, of Psalm 27 is, first, get things into proper perspective. First, get our focus on God where it belongs and all else will follow. David's confidence to declare to us that all things start with God and that he has no fear ought to give us confidence as well. Moving on. The person who lives under God will seek refuge in the Lord. In 1980, a couple of years ago, it's actually 43 years ago, isn't it? <coughs> Sue and I and Will and Marilyn, some of you know them, they are next door neighbours, and another friend from our church who's passed away since, we were playing golf. We were in Fiji. Um, now, I'm not a golfer, so maybe I should say we were playing at golf, um, the four of us. And uh, as you know, in the tropics, storms often come up without notice, for those of you who have been in the tropics. So whilst we're out on the fairway, um, hitting, was it hit and giggle, or giggle and hit or something is one of the terms you use, um, a storm came up. And you know golf clubs and thunderstorms don't, don't uh, gel at all. Yeah, they're, they're, golf clubs are great uh, uh, lightning rods. So the storm hit and there was thunder and lightning and heavy rain, and it was all very frightening. And all we could think about our one and only desire was to seek shelter in the hope that we could stay dry and that we wouldn't be struck by lightning and die. That's all we could think of. 
And I can't remember what happened to the golf clubs. It's too long ago. In this psalm, David also has only one desire. But it's a different desire. It's a higher order desire. His one and only desire, as Rick pointed out to us a little bit earlier, is to be in God's house forever. To be in his presence. To be with God in his house. David asks God to let him dwell in his house all the days of his life, to gaze on his beauty, to seek him in his temple, to worship him. Above all else, he doesn't want power, he doesn't want wealth, he doesn't want to seek recognition to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, he just wants to be safe in God's presence, to behold God and to worship him. So rather than trying to solve the problems that confront him, David is seeking a higher order of security, something which is far greater than just problems being solved, and that is to be with God, because he contends that from God's house he will be exalted, he will have peace, he will be lifted high above the the heads of his enemies, out of reach of those who want to harm him. For David, it's this relationship with God that matters above everything else. He's single-minded in his desire. The place where he wants to be will be where God will answer his call and where God will show mercy to him. What a wonderful picture that is. Certainly different to the picture that we see around us. There is peace, there is serenity, there is safety and security. What a joy to be with God. What a joy it would be to be able to praise him all the days of our lives. Nothing can compare to that. David is asking God to grant him entry into this, into this house. He knows he can't enter on his own merit or because of what he's done. He can only enter with God's permission. You know, in much the same way, we can only enter heaven to be with God by God's invitation through his son because there's nothing we can say or do that entitles us entry into heaven. Only God in his mercy and grace can provide the way for us to enter his house And the way he did that for us was through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And we remembered his birth just a few days ago. In that very same house that Jesus... It's that very same house that Jesus, I think, refers to in John 14, where he says that in God's house there are many rooms and that he's going to prepare a room for us. What does that mean to you? For those of you who grew up with siblings sharing rooms, and I think there are still a few um, in that situation today, you're going to get your own room. How good is that? Jesus has prepared a room for you, the biggest resort outside this world, heaven, and you've got your own room. How great great is that? I don't know what the internet's going to be like up there, but... Amidst the hustle and bustle of our world, we need to be constantly reminded that we are destined. If you look around you, we're all destined to be in the same 
place. So I guess you've got to get used to each other as well. We're just like David. Our ultimate destination as followers of Jesus is his as well. Putting our trust in God will help us to properly shape our lives and to align with what God's plan is for us. So what's the one thing that you would ask of the Lord? What's the one thing that you seek above everyone else, everything else? Is it what David is seeking? Because by seeking that, we're actually looking at the world in the proper way. It helps us to see how our personal struggles and the issues and troubles of this world, insurmountable as they may seem, are actually under God's control under his power and in his plan. It looks very muddy sometimes, but we have to have our confidence in God that he has this, he's got it. Put our trust in him and desire to be with him in his house. Now in the next part of the psalm, David takes a slightly different tack. The person who lives under God will be upheld by the Lord. Here David is reflecting on some of the issues that he's dealing with. And in a sense he's calling God out saying, you promised to look after me, hold good to your promises. And we can do that to God. God understands that we need to to be confident in him. Have you ever had to call in a promise? A situation where you've been guaranteed something and that you've had to test out whether the promise will be upheld and your request honoured. It can be as simple as a warranty claim on an item that you bought or an undertaking that someone has given you that they would do something for you or with you or to you when you ask them to do it and you're now calling them on it, expecting them to deliver. In verses 7 to 12, you can almost hear the plea in David's voice as he implores God to listen to his requests. David is asking God to be true to the promise to be his helper and not to forsake him in times of need. He asks God to teach him his ways, to straighten his path, not to turn him over to his foes and to deal with those people who falsely accuse him. And even when those close to him, his mother and father, have left him, he is saying and confidently saying that he knows that God never will. In the midst of what must be an overwhelmingly difficult situation, David does not lose sight of who God is and with confidence asks God to help, knowing that he will. The confidence that David expressed earlier on in the psalm always holds true. Turning to God was the very best thing David could do in all situations and you know it's the best thing that we can do as well even when we may feel overwhelmed and defeated turn to God put your matters before him because he can never be defeated this reminds me of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane where he's praying to his father he knows what's in store for him he knows it's going to be tough and he's, he's uh, in his anguish, he turns to God and asks for the cup to be taken from him. 
for the situation to change, for him not having to go through the difficulties. But in his heart, he knows that it's the will of God and he knows what he must do. And what does he do? He submits himself to God, knowing that God will never forsake him. At an in the long run, whatever God does is good. So we too, I think, need to turn to God just as David did. Recall the promises that he has made. Recall his past faithfulness. Recall the plan that he has for us. Put the matters on the table before God. Ask for his help. We're incapable of solving the issues without God. Let's be confident that he will uphold us. Finally, the person who lives under God will wait on the Lord, confident of the outcome. The final two verses of this, in the final two verses of this psalm, David reaffirms his utmost confidence in God. In the past, David has experienced God's trustworthiness. He's experienced God's hand in the battles and difficulties he's encountered. He's experienced how God supported him and guided him in all aspects of his life. He has experienced how God has forgiven him. David is totally confident that God will continue to act in the same way as he has. David expects God to answer his prayer for protection and he expects to see the outcome of God's goodness in the world for all to see. Though David did not see it, we know that God made good on that promise, don't we? Because Jesus came into the world as God's perfect expression of his goodness towards us. He is the one who fulfills the promises that God made to his people. He is the one who resolved the separation that we had from God because of our sin. Jesus is the one who is the expression of the goodness of God in our world. The final verse is a great summation of how David lives his life under God. David understands the majesty and power of God and his control over all the events in the world and is supremely confident that God has got this in hand and that he will now wait upon the Lord. All David's efforts and plans come to this, to leave everything to God and wait. To trust him and wait. David is biding his time because he knows that God has everything in hand. So how are we expected to wait on God? What are the dynamics of that for us? Out there, the world loves people of action, leaders who who act decisively, people who do things. Just do it is often the catch cry that we hear. Waiting is contrary almost to what we expect we should do when we're called to action. Is our waiting to be like 
waiting in a doctor's surgery till our appointment comes up. Meaningless waste of time, in my opinion. Nothing to do but scan old magazines or read posters on the wall until it's your turn. No. The waiting that we're expected to do for God is not like that. The sort of waiting that we're called to do is not inactivity or slothfulness. It's a very positive, purposeful sort of waiting. A waiting that has an air of expectation about it. And it implies moving forward, doing God's work. To be called to wait is to be called to the activity of remembering who we are and who God is. He wants us to, uh, and what he wants us to do and how we are to do it in the manner that David has been explaining. To be called to wait is to be called to the activity of worshipping God, praising him for his presence, for the wisdom that he gives us, for his power, for his love and for his grace. To be called to wait is to be called to the activity of serving looking at ways to lovingly assist and encourage each other while we are also being called to wait. To be called to wait is to be called to the activity of praying, to be called to the activity of confess confessing our struggles, the struggles of our heart and seeking the grace of God. In a sense, we're all called to hurry up and wait upon God. It's a call to an activity to actively meditate on the glory and majesty of our Lord so we can gain clarity about what's going on around us. Clarity about what's true and eternal. Through our patient, courageous, active trusting, through our seeking the Lord in prayer, we can learn to wait with absolute confidence that God has things in hand and that in all things God works for good for those who put their trust in him. Now today is the end of 2023 and some people are in the business of making New Year's resolutions. I want to propose one to you. I want to propose that you reflect upon the majesty of God today, this evening, and make a resolution that you're going to focus more upon him than all the other noise and things in the world. And that in doing so, you ask him through his spirit that it will change you that it will make you more like Jesus and that you will wait upon the Lord in an active way of prayer, of service, of humility and of thankfulness. That sort of resolution makes a difference. So use the opportunity, the first day, the first new year, to do that. I challenge you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
that you caused David to write what he did in the midst of the issues that he was dealing with. Help, thank you for the clarity of thinking that you gave him and gave us. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray, Father, that we'll continue to grow in you and that your spirit will not only teach us, but help us to be more like Jesus in all things. Help us to not only make a resolution to change, but also to pursue that in an active way as we wait upon the Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.